Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Aoife Kylie, and I'm a research officer for Alzheimer's Society. I'm pleased to be co-hosting this podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. Uh, my name is Katie Stubbs from Alzheimer's Research UK and I'll be co-hosting this podcast with Aoife. This week we'll be discussing Brains for Dementia Research or BDR. Brains for Dementia Research is a brain tissue resource jointly funded by Alzheimer's Society and Alzheimer's Research UK. BDR is different from other brain banks because it's a network of brain banks and therefore able to offer a wider range of cases and also because they provide detailed medical history for each sample. So joining us today we have two researchers who have used BDR tissue in their research. Could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dr Kirsty McAleese and I'm from Newcastle University and I work with the Newcastle Brain Tissue Resource. Hi, I'm Dr Keely Brooks and I'm from the University of Nottingham and Nottingham Trent University and I'm involved with the BDR because I do the genetic analysis on it. So would you like to just tell us a little bit more about your research, so what you actually do, how you use uh, post-mortem brain tissue? Yep, so my research focuses on white matter damage, mainly in Alzheimer's disease and also normal ageing. So the BDR is a great resource for me uh, because it gives me access to these tissues of various different cases. And my research is to understand the mechanisms of white matter damage because we can actually see this on MRI scans in living patients. And they're used in various criteria for vascular dementia when the patient is alive. But my research shows that actually there are different mechanisms that are not always associated with vascular pathology or vascular disease of, of, of the blood vessels. So therefore, it's how can we unravel what we see in the pathology in, in, in the brains that are donated that could help people during life. Okay, and so I um, extract the DNA from the postmortem brains from BDR, but also the bloods from the live samples. And what we run do is run this DNA on the neurochip and do some exome sequencing with it, so we can identify rare variants that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. And we're also developing the polygenic risk score. And then we're moving on to genomics, which is my area of expertise. So we're looking at RNA sequencing gene expression and how the mechanisms control that that um, may account for why these polymorphisms are associated with Alzheimer's disease. Kirsty, you mentioned that in your Alzheimer's Society Junior Fellowship involves examining white matter changes in Alzheimer's disease. Can you explain how using BDR tissue is more suitable or effective than, say, using an animal model of Alzheimer's? Yes, so <clears throat> I think it's very important when, well, I'm coming from, I work with on human tissue, but I think it's very important that with the BDR tissue, we have the clinical diagnosis and the clinical information of the patient, and then we also have the, the tissue at the end. So any findings that I do find, whether it be with the white matter or the pathology and, and the diagnosis, I can relate back to the patient history during life as well as brain scans. We also at Newcastle perform post-mortem brain scans in case we don't have the, the images from life. And that gives us a good representation of what we would see in a living individual. And I think that's the key with BDR, that it's both clinical and pathological data that's available. Keely, you work on um, an Alzheimer's Research UK major project that's led by Professor Kevin Morgan. Um, and as you said already, you're generating the genetic data from the BDR tissue. Um, but I know you already have quite a large kind of DNA bank already. So what kind of additional benefit is adding the BDR samples to that? Well, and 
as well as increasing sample size for statistical purposes, the BDR is unique, as um, um, Kirsty was just saying, in the fact that we have so much clinical data. So part of the reason why we have so much background noise when doing genetic analysis with diseases, complex diseases such as Alzheimer's disease, is because there is um, very variation in the uh, endophenotypes. So with all the detailed clinical and pathology data we have from the BDR, we can correlate genetic polymorphisms with those endophenotypes rather than the, the disease, and it becomes a clearer finding. And also, because as well as kind of doing all the sequencing, I understand that you're also kind of feeding that genetic information back into the BDR cohort as well. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's now available on the DPUK, and I think it's also in the brain bank as well. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great feature of BDR as well, that it's not just the brain tissue that you're getting, but you can get all the components of the tissue, like DNA, RNA mm -hmm. and CSF. I think a, a lot of people don't realise that. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were talking to a fellow researcher who wasn't sure whether brain tissue was for them or they thought it was too complicated or wouldn't be any help to their research, what would you guys tell them? I would tell them that is very incorrect. I think human <laughs> tissue is extremely valuable to any type of researcher working with dementia. Um, this is what I preach a lot of the time to the um, the biochemical and the animal models, the cell culture people who we come in contact with at conferences and, and in our university. Um, I have a really good example of this, actually. We just have um, a, a fantastic new research associate working with us, Dr. David Koss from um Aberdeen and he's worked for 10 years plus in animal models and he was flabbergasted when he finally saw the true disease in human tissue. He saw amyloid beta for the first time that wasn't from an animal model and he couldn't believe how different it was. Now that's someone who studied this in depth for over 10 years and Tao as well but it was I remember his face with the amyloid. So I think it's really important that, you know, they do amazing work. They do things that I could never do, all these genetic, you know, and transgenic mouse and amazing cell models. But it has to relate to the human model because that's what we're trying to do. And it's so simple to get BDR tissue. You literally, you know, if you have no idea what to do, you just email the BDR coordinator and she will tell her what you want and she will signpost you directly to the brain bank that can help. And it is literally filling out one form. That's all it is. It's so easy and it's relatively cheap as well, but it can give you so much value to your animal models because you relate the, the translation of it into the human model. Yeah. Yeah, totally second that. I mean, um, especially um, with the genetic data being available there, I use it for my own um, genomics uh, work. So I am selecting which brain tissue I want based on their genetics. Mm. So I don't have to take a gamble of, oh, I just get 10 brains and hopefully they'll be the right genotype. I can go to the brain bank. Actually, I want that sample, that sample and that sample. My sample size is then correct for for the power detections and I can do my analysis and I know I can find a, a finding based on what the, the polymorphism might do. And you get a lot of pathological data as well. So, you know, these for Alzheimer's disease, for example, they're all BRAC stage, tal phase, all of the, the routine diagnosis is done so you know exactly what you're getting. You don't have to do anything. You, all that data is freely available. It comes with the tissue. You just have to do your little experiment and you can compare it with with what you found in your models. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the things um, that is a real benefit of BDR is that it, you don't actually even have to be using the physical tissue samples. You can access mm -hmm. that kind of in-depth clinical data, the neuropathological data, the genetic data as well. So, yeah. I, 
Well, at Newcastle, um, we actually perform quantitative analysis on on the brains that are donated, and we have a data bank of over three hundred and fifty cases now. So it could simply be that you request, you know, some a, a group of fifty Alzheimer's disease cases, but we've already done the data anyway. Mm. So if you're trying to compare quantitative pathological burden of tau, for example, and you want to compare it to how much you see in mice, we already have that data done. So sometimes you actually don't need. The tissue mm. you can just request the data mm. varies between brain banks but things like that are available yeah mm. and if the data has been uploaded to the dementia platform uk yeah then people just write for accessibility um put in their projects it gets approved you download mm. it or well, actually you don't download it you do all the analysis on the dp uk platform and you've got it all there yeah. without having I, to go into I the lab personally just had um a study with dp uk um, access accepted and I couldn't believe how easy it was because I need some clinical data from BDR cases that I'm working with. I need to know the clinical, um, uh, the, the notes from when they were uh, during life from you know, their GP visits, etc., which is only available on DP UK. And, you know, it's very daunting. You're like, oh, I've got to go through this different platform. Mm-hmm. And me, you know, Kaylee and I were just saying it was so easy. In less than three weeks, I have full access and I'm awaiting my access code. It was so quick and easy. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think one of the things we're also interested to hear was when you're doing kind of looking at um, literature in the field or people doing similar things, is there anything you've seen in terms of the use of post-mortem tissue for any purpose that you've been like, oh, I wish I'd done that, like that's really cool? Bit of an off-the-wall question. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in America you've got the ROSMAP, so they are doing layered genomics data, so they've got RNA-seq, they've got methylation data, uh, microRNAs. So from the genetics point of view, that is what I would love to see happen with the BDR. So we have all those layers of data on the same samples. Mm -hmm. So then we can correlate gene expression with their methylation instead of having two groups and just hoping that they're all the same Mm -hmm. because of all the individual differences. And I think that is where the power combined with the clinical and the pathology um, that BDR has. I don't think I have. um, I think what I've... You know, the, the Bristol group do amazing work with the biochemical assessment of pathology, uh, of um, hyperperfusion markers, which I'm actually doing with my fellowship. So I think things that I've seen, I've tried to incorporate into my projects. Um, but yeah, I think most just mainly more biochemical work because I'm quite, you know, fixed tissue pathology <laughs> work. Is, and I find everything else, wet lab, a little bit scary, but I'm branching into it. Mm. So... We will see if it's, it's successful. <laughs> Actually, another thing I would ask from, because I used to work in a, a histology lab kind mm. of environment as well. And sometimes we found that when you were getting samples from different brain banks, because they, they just use different methods for prep, you're going to get different results. Mm. And so that's one of the things that I personally really like about Brains for Dementia Research is they have consistency of preparation and yeah. everything they yeah. do across the different centres. Do you guys have any experience of working with like getting samples from other brain banks and noticing that difference and kind of appreciating BDR for that? I've worked with a group from the US, um, which I still work with, um, fantastic brain bank, but they do do things quite differently. Um, I remember seeing their dissection was done differently because I'm so used to a certain way. And, oh, you know, it was it was almost terrifying just to see how people do it differently because I, I'm not just saying this because I'm from a BDR bank, but we are hands down the best 
the donation process and the dissection, the, the way we do it is by far the best. And we take the most samples from talking to other places, you know, there are lots of other brain banks. But seeing it firsthand, I mean, you think of America, you think of a lot of money, they have fantastic facilities, but the BDR is the way that it's done uniformly and so consistently between all the centres is is about you know the best i've seen mm, yeah and i can second that because um i use rna a lot and from various different brains because i've worked in different brain disorders before mm. and um i must admit that having taken rna extracted rna from the bdr tissue it is so much more consistent in the amounts we get and importantly the quality of rna that we get before it was always hit and miss have i got a good brain have i got a bad brain but generally i'd say like 98 percent of the time i know i'm going to get really good stellar rna out of the bdr thinking over some of the things that you've done using tissue from bdr <laughs> and from other um kind of brain banks as well do you have any kind of key successes or key findings that you think wouldn't have been possible had you not had that sort of access like what's your what's your headline research finding well mine would be the paper that i published last year which is what my fellowship is an extension of now was it was that there are different oh well possibly different mechanisms that underline white matter damage in the posterior of the alzheimer's brain because this could indicate that white matter lesions can also be reflective of tau pathology that was my in, in some cases, not necessarily vascular pathology. So this has been rolled out into my fellowship, which is to repeat this again, to make sure that it's valid and consistent. But it also can show us that there is topographical differences between regions of the brain. So I need to um, also do this in the frontal region, which my preliminary data using BDR tissue has shown that it is associated with vascular pathology. So that could be huge diagnostically if we see you know, quite severe lesions in the parietal region of the brain. So many people, and I talked to this with Professor Alan Thomas, who is the director of BDR, he's also a clinician, he sees all the time clinically vascular dementia. We get the brain or he'll see the patient. And, you know, they clearly Alzheimer's disease. It's just because of the current diagnostics that we have, you know, because we don't fully understand all of the mechanisms. So that's where my focus is. But the paper last year, which showed that it is possible that it could be caused by tau pathology. So that was an interesting finding. <laughs> yeah, um, just some recent work I've been doing using the RNA sequence data that I have from the BDR. Um, that was just a pilot study. We've now got a grant to uh, expand this to a lot more samples. I found some really interesting findings with the RNA editing that's happening. Um, it's a relatively new, so identified phenomena, let's say. Um, and it's found to be um, RNA editing is decreased in Alzheimer's disease. And we're not quite sure whether this is because the brains are sick and so they're not functioning properly or whether this is a, a cause of something possibly going on. But I found some really neat data that shows RNA editing is correlated with gene expression. Um, I'm presenting this at the ARUK conference. Um, so hopefully that will come out as a publication very soon. Mm, we'll look out for that one then. Nice. Um, I think the last question that I have is sort of a statement or, and a question. Um, we're going to be releasing this podcast uh, around the same time as the relaunch of the website yeah. uh, for Brains for Dementia Research. So some of the people listening to this podcast might be thinking about using brain tissue for the very first time, what would you, do you have any advice or tips you'd give to a complete newbie to using human tissue? Don't be scared or intimidated by using human tissue. It, the 
the process of applying for the tissue and receiving the tissue is so easy. There are people there to help you. These the technicians from the brain banks, they've done it many, many times. And it can be so valuable. If you think you want to do it, go for it because it can be so valuable to your research as well as publications. You know, we're in the game where we need to publish our manuscripts and, you know, it's not as easy now to just have one technique. This Mm. can be such a good addition to your manuscripts to get you into those high impact journals. So the the database having all the information mm. on that you could need, then um, you don't have to worry about whether you've got the right sample or not. You can handpick what those samples are. OK, um, so by cl- for closing, we'd just both like to say um, thank you very much to both our researchers for very kindly coming all the way down to London to record this podcast. Mm, and also thank you to the listeners uh, for tuning into the podcast. And remember, you can subscribe through SoundCloud and iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So please do share, subscribe and rate the podcast. It helps other people find it as well. And you can tag us using hashtag ECR Dementia. Um, and if you'd like to join one of our panels or write a blog for our website, please do get in touch. Podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.